0: And welcome to Endpoint Management Today. My name is Rhonda Student Kaiser, and I am the Director of Customer Experience for BigFix at HCL Software.
1: And I am James Stewart, BigFix subject matter expert.
0: So today we have a real treat. Um, we have Jimmy Glass with us. And Jimmy is one of our product architects. He works primarily with our ecosystem infrastructure. Uh, try to say that five times fast. But what I really want to know, Jimmy, is... What is a product architect in ecosystem infrastructure, which I can't even say? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll start with with ecosystem. Um, we're we're a relatively new group, uh, founded within HCL, that uh, really speaks to the investment by HCL into modernizing the product. We we're, we're looking to facilitate the interaction or integration of BigFix with third party tools, CMDBs, ITSMs and vulnerability uh, management systems. So um, as a product architect, I facilitate the overall designs of these integrations.
1: Are there any examples that you can speak to?
2: Uh, well, we're we're currently working on the IVR, and that's the integration with Qualys and Tenable. Previously, we've, we've got the first version of the ServiceNow CMDB integration.
1: And IVR stands for something, vulnerability remediation
2: or something?
0: I think it's Insights with Vulnerability Remediation.
2: That, that is correct. It's Insights for Vulnerability Remediation. Ha!
1: Oh,
2: okay.
0: I got five points. I got five <laughs> points on that one.
2: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Pre- previously, it was known as UVM, uh, Unified Vulnerability Management. So.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I think I'm more familiar with that term. Awesome. So, kind of going back to basics, what got you started in computers?
2: Well, I, I would have to attribute my, my father. So uh, when I was eight years old, uh, my dad ran a bulletin board system back in the 90s for the EPA. Um, and this was a Gulf line. It was a, a bulletin board system with nine modems that facilitated communication on the cleanup of the Gulf of Mexico. So computers have been largely a part of, of my life from, from a very early age. Uh, he really supported that that passion I remember he uh, basically showed me a game from uh, Sierra. Uh, this was on an IBM XT, and told me if I uh, wanted to play it, I needed to figure out how to run it. So I did. Then I kind of got into bulletin board systems and chatting with sysops, and uh, eventually, you know, became a moderator for America Online. So uh, that that was my early computer experience.
1: So your your dad helped run a bulletin board system or BBS, for the Environmental Protection Agency for cleanup in the Gulf of Mexico. Yes. That's very specific. And then you ended up as an AOL, I guess, chat moderator, which is basically like the slightly more modern BBS at the time.
2: Uh, Right. So actually, America Online, I believe, was based on our BBS prior to becoming an ISP. Oh, wow. So Stephen Case uh, had reached out to my dad and spoke to him about starting up this pay-for-service bulletin board system based on RBBS, which was what my my dad had set up for, for the EPA. And uh, my dad was like, oh, no, that'll make no money. Who's going to pay to connect to a bulletin board system? <laughs> <laughs> so we all know that was a bad decision.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Like, I kind of knew that AOL had a lot of, like, chat room messaging kind of features like that, but it was not really a part of AOL I was ever that aware of. Like for me, my main interaction with AOL was like AOL Instant Messenger, and I knew that like some people used it to get their email and internet connection. But that was like my main interaction to it. But that's, that's interesting. Like what did you do as a AOL monitor? What was that like?
2: Well, early on, it was, um, uh, I mean, it was just a simple bulletin board system. Um, And you would dial in just like you would dial in with an ISP and then you would have access to various services from message boards to messaging to email and limited web capabilities, I guess, Um, transfer files, things like that. Uh, My role with them was was as a support agent in one of those chat rooms. So if if people had issues with AOL or had issues with a computer, then I would try to help them and and in exchange for for those services i got free aol and at the time you would pay per hour i believe
1: yeah that was such a weird time
2: it it was huge
1: so that that's interesting how you know a lot of aol's early product was around text-based messaging and lots of different formats from you know bulletin board to chat to email and then you were doing text-based chat support which is also now like fairly common, where you go to a, a vendor's website and it pops up a little thing in the in the bottom corner, like, "Hey, would you like help with this? We can chat with you right now." And it, it's kind of a return to that text-based support.
2: Yeah, uh, and and I mean, we we can do tons more than we can do back then, from you know remote control to, uh, of course, the the automated scripts that we have with BigFix. Yep, there it was. It was really more conversational. Um, and uh, if if anyone's ever worked in IT support, it's it can be frustrating sometimes um, <laughs> not to have the tools that you need to uh, really solve the problem and and to walk the user through it. Absolutely.
0: So so do you think that kind of evolved into what you're doing today? I mean, do you see parallels between this infrastructure and and tying things together? That kind of like began in your brain way back in your AOL days.
2: Um well I I would say that it, it it was part of the journey. Bulletin boards in particular, AOL was was just a small part of my early career, but it it certainly involved a, a lot of learning. Uh one of the the things that has helped me throughout my career is is that I'm constantly learning about things. So, you know, I I had a passion for helping people there, uh, working with people, solving problems, and figuring out how things worked. And and so that same drive has, has been consistent throughout my career as I, I moved through various roles and positions and specialties.
1: Yeah, I think that's really key for lots of different IT jobs and being like an effective big fix operator is Being able to figure out how things work, how to troubleshoot things, and how to solve problems for people. and like That's really what I think makes the job fun and exciting.
2: I would agree.
0: So how did you find your way to BigFix?
2: Well, I got a a job offer with the professional services team in 2008. So they, they were looking for a systems integration developer to basically be able to extend the platform. So I, I started with Big Fix there in uh, our Emeryville office and worked with many, many custom customers building custom integrations, custom content, extending the platform in various ways with console, dashboards, things like that.
1: Uh what were some of your first surprises with BigFix?
2: Well, from the initial training uh, that I received on the product was as with everyone that that gets introduced to Big Fix, I mean you have these uh these light bulb moments where um, you're like, "Wow, that is just ingenious!" So I, I've always been enamored with with this concept of the autonomous agent. It, it's such an elegantly simple solution with so much power. I, I can tell the agent, or tell all of the machines in in my uh, environment what I want them to do, what I want them to be doing, and and that agent, whether it's connected to the system or not, connected to the server or not. We'll continue doing what I told them to do and to infinity, you know, so this, this gets kind of into the, um, uh, the concept of continuous compliance. So I, I can ensure that endpoints are patched at 7 PM, whether they're in the office or they're at home. I can, uh, make sure that if someone turns their firewall off, I, I can turn that firewall back on without explicitly going in and flipping a switch. I can tell BigFix to, to take care of that. So, you know, the, the autonomous, the autonomy of the agent itself is so powerful. And, and that, that was really some of the biggest part of that, that light bulb moment for me with the the platform is look at all that I can do with this product.
1: Yeah. That, I think that's something we touched on in our, what is big fix episode a little bit, but yeah, that's something I really like to kind of stress or mention to people in, in trainings and other things that, Yeah, if you have a big fix action that you put out there that says, you know, the firewall must be on, and if it's not, then it turns it on, that will run regardless of network connectivity. It just runs on its own and does that because it doesn't involve like a download, it's just a command. So it'll just run anytime it needs to and only if it needs to. And it just kind of happens and it kind of becomes magical when you have lots of those things in your environment all together such that you have lots of these different things that are just constantly being fixed or corrected or enforced depending on the needs. It's really kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, I really like I I totally agree with you. I mean that that the the capability to keep things in a in a steady state and 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 now, you know, with some of our newer tools, the ability to monitor that and to watch it over time to be able to report out compliance over time like if you're in a regulated market i mean something like that where you know you want to say a password has to be a, a particular password policy or whatever but you can not only enforce that but you can also m- monitor that and you can say you know out of the last 100 days 100% of the time this machine met that requirement i mean that's that, that's just so powerful you know from my perspective and i don't and and certainly when I was a customer, I wasn't really in a regulated market. There were things that we had to do, but but it was really it was just really super powerful from that perspective.
2: Yeah, I had the opportunity to work with Mark Finnick for a while early on with HCL and and BigFix, and uh, he frequently would would point out that visibility is is one of the the largest value propositions for the product, and uh, because if you can't see it, you can't fix it. So I, I think that's fundamental also to, to what we do from a development perspective. You know, we, we want to help customers find these devices, figure out what they are and why they're on their networks and, and, and what problems they may have.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really key thing is visibility and insights into what's going on in your environment uh, on all these fundamental levels is really kind of awesome. But also in that, what's, what's funny is you said, like, you can't really fix it if you don't know that it's a problem. But what's also interesting about the use case where we, that we just mentioned where the agent is not connected to the network, that's fixing problems that you couldn't know about before because it's actually fixing things on disconnected devices in some cases or enforcing things on disconnected devices. And that's that's stuff that you cannot have visibility in until after the fact. And BigFix even helps with that by showing like how often an action is reapplied and it can report that when it connects back. So you can actually get that information. Oh, this this actually ran when it was disconnected many times and that's visibility into the past in, into a device that you was previously in a state you could never have had visibility into because it was not connected to a network and that's pretty neat.
2: Yeah, we we've we've done some some really cool solutions with uh professional services in the past where uh we we would have a set of configuration items that applied when you were connected to the VPN and reversed when you disconnected from the VPN. And uh, in in those scenarios, you know, you you made things more secure, less secure, more stringent, less stringent, based off of the the environment in which the customer was working in. And we could do that all through BigFix.
1: Yeah, you you often have like three different network states that you care about. You have the devices that are on the VPN, the devices that are directly on the corporate network, and then devices that are um, neither. You know, somewhere out in the public internet or dmz mm. and so you can have automatic configuration happen based upon those different states and those different conditions and that's that's a, also a kind of a cool feature or like we said already like it doesn't require specific network connectivity to have those changes be enforced when those things are changing so that's that's kind of cool
2: yeah i i find that that very exciting uh, those type of solutions those type of problems um uh, when they come up from customers, uh, they're they're fairly simple to implement with with the product. and otherwise they they were unimaginable before it's something that they can get me talking on for hours.
0: <laughs> I think we're all pretty passionate about big fix. Um, yeah. you know, having you know lived it or you know seen the power of it, you know with our customers or seeing what we can implement. I mean, I, clearly we're fans, but It's true. That's the, that's the cool part about it. So, you know, these, these days we're all, you know, we're not seeing each other, I guess. So is there something that you're doing outside of big fix and outside of your core role that you're excited about and, and like keeps you sane when we're constantly connected?
2: Well, I, I've always had a, uh, live to work attitude. Um, so there's the type of people that have uh, a live-to-work attitude and a work-to-live attitude. Um, I, I've never had a nine-to-five job. Uh, I, I have a lot of passion for what I do. So I eat, sleep, and wake up and, and, and do it again. Uh, big fix. When it comes to like outside hobbies, of, of course, I've got a family. But uh, I've got an older uh, 40-foot aft cabin boat. So that that's where I kind of... Tune out of technology, and you know, where we sit behind a desk eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, some days, and we're very stationary. My boat is, is my outlet for doing something physical. So, um, before five years ago, I knew nothing about motors, nothing about boats. Um, and I bought a boat, and the first thing I figured out about the boat was I couldn't afford to pay someone else to fix it. So I, I've learned how to work on four-cylinder motors, uh, my Crusader 454s, so uh, change oil, things like that, uh, and, and I find that very rewarding. You know, uh, From a techie perspective, one of the cool things that I'm, I'm looking at at the moment is, is moving my analog gauges, so like the speedometer or the, the oil gauges, the fuel gauges, all of these sensors are really simple components that send an analog ohm-based signal to the gauge up in, in your cockpit in um, and, and a very similar manner to the way it works in a car. But you can actually send those signals over to a block that translates it into a digital signal, and that can be translated across a network in the boat um, into an integrated console. And so I, I slowly invest in those type of things and uh, am working on building out uh, a more complex system there. But I I find that exciting, the technology that that you can put on the boat and how that weathers in the environment. So there's a lot more things to think about with physical devices than uh, with the digital devices I traditionally work with.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm not super mechanically inclined, but like slowly over the years, I've kind of picked up more and more car repair things and there's there's definitely things where they come up and I'm like oh yeah I don't think I can do that I really need uh, a mechanic to help and then other times I'll you know watch a YouTube video on how to do it and I'll be like oh yeah I think I can give that a shot and one of the things I've found um, with doing my own repairs is I can buy better components online for you know often cheaper than I would get charged for the cheaper components and do it myself and end up ahead in terms of you know the costs to do the repair and the cost for the part often. Uh, so like that, that's always very exciting to me when I can pull off a repair with what I think is much better parts for much lower costs. I'm sure you have a similar experience on the boat as well.
2: Yeah, yeah it, 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 that's exactly true. I mean, the the labor typically comes from some magic book and, uh, oh, that's supposed to take two hours and they charge you two hours of labor and you get you know, it really took them fifteen minutes. Uh, but in in that type of work too, like I, I often talk to my wife about this, the um, uh, the sense of accomplishment that you get for for me at uh, doing that type of work. Um, is immediate. Like I changed the oil at 30 minutes. Boom, I did it. Let me check it off the list. Working with uh, some of these larger solutions that we're building, we're, we're looking at at six to 12 month dev cycles. So that that check mark, um, though we have intermediate accomplishments, they they're not daily like check marks. So there's it takes longer to, to receive the fulfillment. you don't get this, the same immediate gratification you get from these little hobbies.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I will say though that the getting charged 2 hours worth of labor for 15 minutes worth of work, there is parallels in like software development and automation work and some of the big fix work that we do because part of that charge for 2 hours is you know, you're you're basically charging for the knowledge and expertise to do it. You know, it only takes me 15 minutes to do it, but that's because I'm an expert and if you paid someone else to do it, it would take them 2 hours to do the same work. You know, like that's not un, an unusual circumstance. so it's similar to like charging a higher rate per hour for that fifteen minutes rather than just charging the same rate but booking it out differently
2: right uh, but but sometimes you don't know what you're gonna get. That's true <laughs> with, with with that labor luckily i I've, I've got a, a lot of great partners with with my boat, people that that are as passionate about boats and and motors uh, as I am about technology. And um, so it's it's worked out it's worked out great.
1: Yeah, I think that that is something that's different about software. Is so, with software it's a little bit. Well, I guess that's not entirely true, but sometimes it's easier to prove that it works <laughs> rather than you do a repair and then just kind of hope for the best, and not sure what you got until you prove it out over time, and things can happen.
2: Yeah, I, I think you have analogies to to home building often with. Uh, uh v- versus software development and in in which case uh, uh you have a lot of physical expense to buying the hardware and and getting that that poc up um you, you don't typically and uh, maybe in some cases architecturally you build a model first to prove it where you have less expense um but uh, i i think general project management is is the same across the board uh you you want a, a sound design you want to do your your due diligence and and perform the analysis on the market understand what what the the customers need uh rather than what they want then build a solution that's scalable and uh reliable
0: so um i guess is there anything um like what are you looking forward to the most that's, like, on our roadmap, where we're going to go and what we're going to get from it that, you know, that really touches on those integrations? I mean, I know for myself, I'm super excited about the ServiceNow integration because I've seen some of the ways that that's going to be really powerful, like, in in my old organization, the things I would have killed for to have out of ServiceNow that are now in big fix and vice versa in an in a out-of-the-box capability, the way that we've done it. But what are you looking forward to the most that you're working on?
2: So we're um, really the, the, the full architectural vision that we've got. Um, uh, six or eight months ago, uh, we had an architectural summit with, with all of the architects in BigFix. And, and we've laid out um, a vision for the future with the platform um, uh, along the lines of modernization. We, we've got full support around that. And I, I, for me, the key elements that, that I center on um, is insights and uh, various components around insights that facilitate scalability, visibility, and automation. So to that end, I don't know if I'm announcing anything, but but ecosystem is, is moving much and much closer with insights nowadays. And um, we, we want data from from. Third-party solutions to be tightly integrated with the data that's available from BigFix, so that we have the information we need to make decisions. That's that's kind of a first stage, and and from there, once we have that information available to us, we know what are the vulnerabilities from Qualys. What are what are the uh, devices that are available from ServiceNow that that don't exist in BigFix? We we can then begin to automate. Um, These solutions, you know, we can deploy the patches required to fix the vulnerability or we can deploy, automate the deployment of an agent to the device from ServiceNow that didn't have an agent, you know, and and there's so many different use cases we have around this automation that are facilitated by that extra information that we get from different solutions as part of a full IT stack. So, uh, I, I mean, to, to kind of sum it up, I, the the future is so bright with Insights um, that that's, that's where it's at for me.
1: Well, that's very good to hear. It's kind of exciting that the goal of Insights is to kind of pull in data from many different sources, including BigFix itself, and to do things with those sources. It's a cool vision.
0: And anyone who's had to try and marry things up between... Various systems and played spreadsheet jockey is gonna be so excited <laughs> by 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 that engine that's gonna do that work for you.
2: Yeah, we, we've we've done a lot of work around device correlation, you know, identifiers and in, in various systems correlating information with BigFix, and you know, then extending that beyond just this one use case. In some environments, uh, they have different rule sets, so. We're doing a lot of experimentation, um, a lot of proof of concepts. We're uh, talking with a lot of customers to, to really understand how things are managed here and making sure that we inco- we incorporate the, the feedback that we receive from customers and that, that that's driving the requirements for, for our solutions.
0: All right. James, do you have any last questions for Jimmy before we, we wrap this thing up?
1: Uh, something you mentioned early on was, you know, your dad not letting you play a game until he figured out how to make it run, and I thought that was pretty interesting because that reminded me of, you know, when I'm trying to keep my kids from playing too many games when they're supposed to be doing homework and stuff like that, and somehow they have become uh, little hackers and have figured out how to get just anything to work, and it's it's kind of uh, shocking sometimes the the ways they find out around you know, my it knowledge. And I was curious, um, you know, if you have any like similar experiences and other like it problems you've had to solve for friends and family. Cause I know for, at least for me personally, I kind of become the, the family it person. Anytime I'm like over (laughs) at someone's house, you know, people want to know how to solve this or what printer to buy. So what kind of interesting family and, and friends it problems have you had to solve?
2: Well, I'm, I'm, uh, a, a bit free range with my kids. Uh, so, I don't use any sort of content filters on them. Um, I uh, I do monitor what they're doing, and uh, I'm like, oh no, you're you're too young to be uh, watching Five Nights at Freddy. Don't do that, or you're going to get in trouble. And and then I just look to make sure that they're following uh, the rules there. Uh, and and they've been great at doing that. Uh, and of course, I, I try to limit screen time. There, we I've got a screen time app on their 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 tablets so that uh, they, they get two hours a day at most, um, and, and that's worked out well. I, I, I mean, as with everyone else in the, the tech industry, um, I'm the computer guy. <laughs> it's not something that I, I typically do on a day-to-day basis, but it, it's really not challenging work, I guess, you know, changing a hard drive or rebuilding a system but uh a solution that i'm probably that that i'm i'm kinda of proud of uh and it's more for for the enjoyment that that my neighbor gets out of it than really that it's you know technically awesome um is that that I basically extended my uh wi fi to my neighbor's house um and installed a roku on his television and introduced him to netflix so uh you know, I every other day I hear about uh, the next series that he binge watched, and uh, you know, I, I I have a lot of satisfaction. That's probably the most rewarding solution I have at home.
1: That's that's really cool. That's really nice. Uh, is there what system did you use to extend the Wi-Fi?
2: I it was just a, a network extender. Like, uh, so I have two network extenders. One that goes from my office into my downstairs area, and then I have another one that that's um by the window next to his house and yeah it, it it's good enough that that he's able to to get on and watch those shows and i'll go over there every other day and see him on his couch with his blanket in his lap and he's a uh, um watching <laughs> <laughs> watching these shows and it, it, it's uh it, it's really cool uh before that he would use an antenna to watch tv so it, uh, it was a major upgrade and and now he curses me for the amount of time he spends watching TV.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. So Pandora's box you've opened.
2: It, it is. Um, and he's recommending it to all of his other friends. Oh, you've you got to get Netflix so I can talk to you about uh, The Walking Dead and, and Sons of Anarchy and uh, every, every other show that we, we watched 10 years ago. Um, you know, he's <laughs> just kind of catching up on them. Nice.
0: Awesome. All righty. Well, thanks, Jimmy, for joining us today. Um, I I found this really fascinating. I always find it fascinating to find out how people got to hear. And I I really enjoyed learning about your journey. And thanks to our viewers, uh, listeners, uh, for for joining us today on Endpoint Management Today. Um, The podcast is a brainchild of James Stewart and Rhonda Student Kaiser. That's me. Um, The program is edited by James. And uh, our original music is from Dan Corcoran, um, who is one of our biggest specialists and uh, all-around Renaissance man. So, thanks again, Jimmy.
2: Cool. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.